Colonial Woods Missionary Church presents Keys to Confident Living. Good morning, church. How are we doing this morning? Good to see you this morning. We are glad you're here. And if you have your Bibles, love to encourage you to take them and turn to James chapter 1. We're going to stop off at Romans 8, 28, and 29 for just a moment when we begin. But James chapter 1 is where we're going to headquarter today as we begin a new series today called God's Classroom. And it's that work that God does in us to conform us into the image of His Son. A number of months ago, I was talking to a young man who was uh, continuing his education and he was getting ready to go back into uh, the classroom. And he was talking about how he wasn't looking forward to it. It was he didn't really enjoy school. In fact, he didn't even see much use in it. And uh, I, I shared with him, I'm kind of the opposite. Now, I, I will tell you, I'm, I, fair fair knowledge here. I, I really didn't enjoy school that much. Um, I always was kind of on this destination. It was all about getting through school so I could get on to what I really wanted to do, and that was part of it. But I'm one of those guys who I learn really well within a classroom setting. In fact, when I came out of, uh, uh, of my undergrad experience, I uh, was pastoring my first church, and as part of my uh, pastorate where I lived, they wanted us to continue our education in some capacity. I just immediately started my master's program. And so what I did is that I just took classes, maybe a one or two a year. And uh, the reason that I do so much better in a classroom setting is that I'm a, I'm a verbal learner. Now, if you don't aren't familiar with that. Some people are visual learners. They, they learn by seeing. Some people, these people tend to be pretty good at reading and then taking that and comprehending it. I am a verbal, verbal auditory learner, which means that if I go to a class and I hear something discussed and then I'm able to respond to it, it tends to connect into my brain. Dan, are you this way? You kind of strike me as someone would be the similar way. I, and I did a little study on that, and I didn't realize this, but uh, verbal communicators or verbal learners, first of all, are, are pretty natural talkers, but they learn, but they have to be able to respond back, which totally explains my report card when I was in grade school. Now, I, I don't know how many of you would remember this. Most of you are too young, but it used to be that on your report card, you didn't get A's, B's, or things like that. You got pluses, check marks, check plus, minus. Any of you remember those report cards? Okay, some of you do, and they almost all have gray or no hair. That, that's kind of how that is. I, I don't think that's how they do it today. Maybe that's not it. Now, here's the deal. If you got a plus, meant you were doing great. You were an A. If you got a plus plus, it means A plus. I mean, you were, did really great in that class. If you got a check, it means you were satisfactory. Uh, check plus means you were a little better than satisfactory. If you got a minus with a circle around it, it meant you need some improvement. I, I equate it to a D today. Uh, and then a minus means you're, you're failing. You're not doing well. And my problem was all throughout grade school, I was 
every category, I was a plus, okay? Except one, conduct. Every time, I would get plus, 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 math plus, spelling plus, uh, 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 vocabulary plus, history plus, uh, but when it would come to my conduct, it would always be minus with a circle around it or minus. That's it. It was always that. And the thing is, my mom and dad didn't even really give me that hard of a time. I mean, they just knew. I'm going to tell you, I finally, in second grade, I got my first check under conduct, and it was like I was class valedictorian. I mean, it was a celebration because Phil finally got a check. And I realized I, I did that because that's how I learned. And so I've always been that guy that learns well in that setting. So I forced myself to do master's work. I took doctoral level courses in my master's program. And the reason for it was um, I'm a little lazy and I don't necessarily want to do extra hard work for no reason. And so it gave me a destination to work for. I'm a little competitive. And so in that competition, I would compete with myself and others in the classroom setting. Um, I tend to procrastinate. Any of you procrastinate? Well, what I found is that if you're a procrastinator, if you put uh, goals or you put deadlines on your calendar, it helps you to get it done. I always got things done on time. In fact, I never pulled an all-nighter, ever. Never did. I, I always had this, I, I perform well under pressure. So I learned that the way to get things done earlier is to put it earlier on my calendar as the final deadline. It became a self-imposed thing and I got things done early. But the biggest reason is, is that I took, I took classes because it forced me to learn things I didn't really want to learn. Um, if you're a history buff, you may not like math. Wesley loves literature. In his, in his undergrad program, he takes almost every class's literature. He doesn't, he doesn't take math courses unless he has to. If you're a math person, math and science, you very likely don't like literature classes. But when you're in a program that's predetermined for you, you have to start studying things that otherwise you wouldn't study, and it forces you to learn things that otherwise you wouldn't have learned. And it struck me when I, when I thought about this with that young man, how much that is like our relationship with God, because like it or not, many of us are in God's classroom. In fact, I would dare say all of you are in God's classroom today. God is not about our comfort. God is about our character. And so when we begin a journey of faith, God begins to take us through lessons and uses things in our life that we would never choose, but he uses them for our good and for our development. In fact, Romans chapter 8, verse 28 and 29, I headquartered out of that one two weeks ago, and I told you we looked at our participation in the growth process. Now, what I want to do in this series is talk a little bit about how God works in our process of discipleship. Here's what it says. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. By now, you have likely heard somebody bring out to that attention. Not everything in life is good, but God is able to work in everything to bring about good for those who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed 
into the likeness or the image of his son. Now, what does that mean? It means that God has a predetermined plan that those who are believers in Christ, he already knows what he wants you to look like. And what God wants you to look like is his son, Jesus Christ. Everything that happens in our life, he is trying to bring us into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. In fact, that whole process is called discipleship. Now, discipleship, and I'm going to give us kind of an overriding, kind of a big idea for this series. Discipleship means to work or to exercise, but it also means to take on the likeness of our master. And if our master is Jesus Christ, then it's to take on his likeness. And discipleship is this. Discipleship is a point and a process. At the point of salvation and surrender... It establishes Christ in the position as head in our lives. But the process of growth and development establishes Christ's character and his likeness in our lives. I make the assumption that the great majority of people who are in this room are believers in Jesus Christ. And if you're not, that is the starting point of a growth journey in Christ. Always starts with surrender and with salvation that's a point that can happen in a moment but then God begins to do this shaping and molding in our life as he conforms our character into the image of his son that is growth and development and that's what God wants to do in our lives now keeping that in mind let's go into James chapter 1 because in James chapter 1 we discover three tools that God uses to shape us, form us, and conform us into his image, which we may not have thought about. And the first tool that God uses are trials. Say that with me, would you? Trials. God uses trials or trouble to teach us to trust him. James chapter 1, verse 2. James, by the way, the author of this book, this is the half-brother of Jesus Christ. Um, It's interesting, James was not a believer in Jesus until after the resurrection. In fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1 through 6, it gives a list of the individuals that Jesus revealed himself to uh, in the resurrection, and he specifically sought out James, who is his half-brother through Mary, obviously, and he was not a believer. In fact, Jesus's family didn't believe who he was until they saw the resurrected Savior, which I always love because Jesus cared so much about his family that he made a, a specific intent to reveal himself, resurrection into their lives. James was so transformed by that that he actually became the head of the church in Jerusalem, became one of the predominant Christian leaders in the first century of Christianity. James writes this, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance, and perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete. means you've grown up and you are now who God wants you to be, not lacking in anything. 
Now, this is a fascinating passage because he says, consider it pure joy, which means what? It doesn't mean it's a joyful experience, but you can take a a mind or a framework and look at the trials you go through in life in a different way because you know God is using them to develop in your life. Now, why is that important? Well, because James isn't the only one that said that. Trials, to define them for you who might want to know, trial... Trials are intended and used by God to develop and better you. They are are things we go through in life that helps develop us in our character and in our maturity. Now, James is not the only one, by the way, who ever said this. Paul said this, okay? Paul said this in Romans chapter 5, verse 1. He says, therefore, we have been justified through faith, And because of that, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into the grace by which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, we rejoice in our sufferings because we know that our suffering produces perseverance and perseverance develops character and character develops hope and hope does not disappoint us. What Paul says is that sufferings in our life trials in our life have a way of building our endurance a friend of mine uh, actually shared he's actually from this church shared with me that uh, this morning he said i'm not gonna be at church this morning uh it's one of our leaders it's joe and uh he uh, i won't say his name joe brown uh but anyway i know i know he made it because but he was running in a half marathon this morning i don't know if i was supposed to share that or not but now everybody knows. And uh, so, but he had made a commitment to do this thing. Well, I texted him and said, hey, I prayed for you this morning. I forgot to text you. And, and he finished, which is pretty exciting. Uh, when you get to a certain age, finishing is a really good thing on that stuff. And then I, I just texted him a little bit ago and I said, remember, the Christian life is a lot like a half marathon. It's not about finishing first. It's about finishing and finishing well. Paul says you develop endurance by running the race. And I don't know if any of you have ever done any kind of training. I was actually thinking about this this morning, Pastor Dan, because there was a season we would run together. And you may, this may shock you. I do not have a runner's body. Okay. Uh, I, have a, I, have a, I have a doorstop body. I have a, I have a body that was made to be a doorstop. I just, I don't like running. But it was when we were learning, we were doing the, the 5K thing. And I, 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 mean, I can run for a little while, and then I got to walk, and I got to run for a little you know, That couch to 5K thing. It's developing endurance. Peter said the same thing, by the way. Peter said in 1 Peter, uh, was it chapter 2, chapter 3, he said, by the way, when you suffer, you're following the model that Christ taught us why it's not because God is punishing you because Christ had to suffer we go through trials because if we're going to be like Jesus it makes sense that if Jesus went through trials we're probably going to have to go through trials and it's interesting how Jesus went through those trials because when you look through the gospels he comes down to the night he's betrayed he's about to face the betrayal he's about to face the trial he's about to be placed on the cross and he goes to the garden of gethsemane and it says that he was overwhelmed in his spirit that he was that he was profusely under stress and he came to the father and he said lord all things are under your control so can you remove this cup but if not, 
not my will, but your will be done. And so we go through these things and God uses them to shape us into the image of his son. Tammy and I um, have uh, enjoyed going to Florida over the last several years. And um, her mom and dad uh, got a little place down in Sarasota. There's like a trailer park type thing down there. And uh, it's really a nice little area. And so we've, we don't get to see them at Christmas because they're down in Florida now. So we have tried to always stop over, it, usually in February, and we'll spend a little time with them. And uh, just, just around the corner from where they're at in this park, there's a little hut. I mean, it's a small little shack. And I think it's called like the, the, the shoe outlet or the, something like that. But the guy sells shoes. And what this guy does is he buys out stores, whole stores, gets a good deal on really nice shoes. And uh, I mean, the more expensive kind of shoes. And then he sells them fairly inexpensive. And so we always stop over there and we always end up buying, you know, a few pair. And so I've gotten to know this guy now over the last few years. And uh, so I, we started talking and getting to know each other. I was asking his story and he's into everything. He's into this, he's into real estate and he's into coins. And I said, oh man, I said, really? I, that's great. He goes, yeah, I got coins. I'd be glad to sell to you. I said, really? Next time I'm down here, I'd love to take a look. So I text him and I said, hey, gonna be in Florida. I'm bringing some money. Um, can I see some coins? And so he brought some coins and I ended up buying some. And then he told me that ever since the early 70s, mid 70s, he's been in the coin thing and he buys coins off of people, 90% uh, silver. And then he says, I melt them down and then I, I, I uh, shape it and I get it down to 100% silver. Most coins are 90% if they're pre-1964. And so he says, I, I get it into 100% silver and then I sell it to a guy up in uh, New Jersey or someplace like that. And he said, this is my guy that I sell to. And he said, Phil, you could do this. He said, you just get yourself a little smelt. And he said, they're not that expensive and it's really cool. And you get the coins you do it. And he's trying to explain this whole thing. And by the way, like, I need another hobby in my life. I mean, I just, I just, I just, well, that's a really nice idea, but I like the coins. I don't want to destroy them. But anyway, it reminded me of the whole process of, of smelting. I think that's what it's called. I think that's right. Because years ago, I had heard how they take gold and how they take silver and how they get it to its pure form, and what you would do with these coins, 90%, means 10% of its other materials, is that you, you, you meld it down, and the metals that are precious are heavier than the other metals and the other things that are in it, and so that goes down to the bottom, and then the, the impurities rise to the top, whatever it is. In fact, uh, it's called, in rough ore, it's called uh, dross. It's just like film that comes to the top. And then what you do is you take this thing and you scoop off the dross off the top and then you're left with the more pure silver and you do that multiple times and the impurities keep coming to the top, scoop it off the top and then you, that's how you get down to 100% or pure silver. That's how they get to pure gold. And I heard this years ago that the smelters, the silversmith always knew that he had pure silver when he could look and see his own face in the silver. Which makes... Proverbs 25.4 make a lot of sense. Remove the dross from the silver 
and out comes the material for the silversmith, what if the stuff we go through in life is the temperature and the junk that comes out of our life is the dross and when Jesus can see his face in our life, you know we've reached our goal. Trials. There's a second one that's mentioned in James that you may not have thought about, and that's temptation. Verse 13. When tempted, no one should say that God is tempting me. Now you learn something right here. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. What do we learn here? God will never tempt you to sin. God may be the author of a trial. He will always use the trial for your betterment, but he doesn't ever tempt you. Who's the tempter? It's the evil one, Satan. And here's what it says. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone, but each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he is dragged away and enticed. Then after the desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like the shifting shadows. Why did he add that in there? Because when we are tempted to sin, it is always a temptation to grasp a counterfeit gift. The enemy will always tempt you to grasp a counterfeit rather than the real deal, but the Heavenly Father is the author of every good and perfect gift. Now, temptation is not the same as a trial. For those of you who would like to write this down, temptation is intended by the enemy to defeat and destroy you. Trials are intended and used to better us and strengthen us. Temptations are intended to destroy and defeat you. But hear this, when you overcome temptation through the grace of Jesus Christ and by his strength, it has the same positive impact as overcoming a trial. Are you catching me? John Wesley said, light obeyed increases light. So when I am tempted with something, but I stand strong and I don't give in to it, what happens? My ability, my strength, and my character grows, and I have more strength the next time I'm facing a temptation. They both can have a positive impact. By the way, both can have a negative impact. Because when I start to curse God in the middle of my trials, that also means you're saying, well, wait a minute, how do we know which is which? Well, you can generally tell by virtue of the fact of what's the natural fruit of this thing. But you'll notice he says God isn't the author of this, the enemy is. And by the way, you are tempted with something that you already desire. And I get people who argue with me on the, no, that's not true. I had a young lady years ago uh, that just argued with me to no end. That's not true. That's not true. I don't want this stuff in my life. I just simply said this. Listen, I can't be tempted with Brussels sprouts. 
My wife could. She loves Brussels sprouts. You cannot tempt me with them. I'll eat them, but believe me, I don't really want them. Donuts? In fact, I will tell you, I'm not tempted by pie because I will always give in to pie. That's my philosophy in life. It's not even a temptation anymore. I made a desire. I made a desire. Now, by the way, what, what could I be tempted by? Chips and salsa. And I failed miserably on our little trip down south. I, I, I had chips and salsa for the first time in like three months. But just a little, just a little bit. Now, why do I say that? Because desires come from within from a lot of places. And places we don't even really understand. For example, if I felt a lack of love as a, as a, a child... Oftentimes, I try to fill that with a counterfeit gift as an adult. It's a very real desire, but that real desire is looking for a fulfillment in a place that isn't honoring to God. That's a temptation. And so I need to be aware of that. Sometimes we have insecurities because maybe we were diminished or maybe we feel insecure because we were betrayed in a relationship and so we, we struggle with that in the next relationship and it creates temptations in our life and when we overcome them by the grace of Jesus Christ, it makes us stronger and more in his character. By the way, why do we go through it? Because Jesus went through temptation. It isn't wrong to be tempted. It's not sinful to be tempted. If it was, we're in trouble because Jesus would have, would have sinned. But you'll notice in your, in your notes, I provided some scripture for you, but Jesus was tempted and he was led by the Spirit into the desert, was tempted by the devil, but he was able to stand strong against him. In fact, Hebrews tells us in chapter two, he was tempted in every way such as that we are tempted. That means everything I've ever been tempted by. Discipleship Journal did a... a a survey a number of years ago on the, the temptations or the sins that most tempt Christians. And because it's discipleship journalists, people who, want, who actually uh, read that, I'm assuming that they're fairly mature in their faith, but here, here's a list of them. Materialism, pride, self-centeredness, laziness, anger, anger and bitterness. Anger and bitterness usually translates into unforgiveness. Sexual lust, envy, gluttony, lying and 81 percent said that their temptation and ability to stand against temptation goes down 81 percent said the number one contribution to when they tend to fail is when they have diminished or pulled away from their time with God by the way 84 percent said that when they come to the Lord in prayer it helps them to overcome temptation Now, we could do a whole study on this whole role of temptation. We could do an entire message, certainly. But if you're struggling today with some things um, in your life, let me just give you some biblical, helpful hints. <clears throat> the first one is refocus, which means you, you need to stop putting all of your focus on this area of temptation. Now, I understand that James says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. But normally, when we're resisting the devil, it's like we're in a tug of war with him. And I'm just going to tell you, you get in a tug of war with Satan, you, you, generally you, you fail. 
But Paul says whatever is pure, whatever is noble, whatever is trustworthy, whatever is pure, think about those things. And so, so okay, so I'm struggling with, uh, you know, and I, I, I laugh about donuts, but let's just use a donut as an example. I'm struggling with that, that temptation. If that's all I'm thinking about, I'm probably going to fail. But so what I do is I have to understand the patterns of my life and begin to place my focus elsewhere. That's why worship's so powerful. That's why, that's why ministering to other people is so powerful because what happens is you're, you're not putting all of your thought process onto this thing that's in front of you. Another thing that we can do is to, I mean, just remove yourself from it. Run. It is not unspiritual to run from temptation. Paul says, flee. Flee, man of righteousness. Get away from this thing. And we fail with... Biblically speaking, all throughout Scripture, I mean, Joseph did this wonderfully. He's in a bedroom, and Potiphar's wife shows up, and believe me, he was tempted. He ran. And so if you struggle with gluttony, don't go to Golden Corral. <laughs> Although it is marvelous. You know, it's funny, uh, some of you know I've been on a couple of journeys in, in about what, eight, nine years ago. I, I can't, one of the first things we gave up is going to, going to buffets. I'm not saying they're wrong. I just, if I, if I tend to eat too much, quit going where they serve so much food, right? And by the way, if you struggle with alcohol, don't meet your friends in a bar all the time. And by the way, if you, are finding yourself struggling with alcohol and it's with the same friends. Maybe you need some different friends. I mean, it really is not brain. Tammy and I, Tammy and I, when we were uh, dating and we were engaged, um, we really, we really wanted to cross the marriage uh, uh, line and remain pure. It was important to us for our testimony that we would abstain until marriage. And uh, when you get engaged, it doesn't get easier. It gets harder. Because now in your brain, you're married to this person, right? I mean, you've already emotionally crossed that line. And so it became, it became challenging. And I'll tell you what really became challenging is I got an apartment. And we used to laugh about this um, that when, when, uh, when I was weak, she was strong. And when she was weak, I was strong. And when we were both weak, we ran. <laughs> we, we, we would not be alone. We would go. if it, We just went somewhere where we were with people. And you're saying, boy, that is so unspiritual. Uh, no, that is biblical. And so there are very practical ways that we stay strong, we refocus certainly, we run when necessary, and then we partner up, which means we have accountability. 
And God has placed all those things in our life to help us to have this grace and the strength to overcome. And by the way, when we overcome, what happens? We grow and we look more like him. Last one. God uses trespasses. Trespasses are when people have taken or arrived in an area of our life that we did not invite and they have stolen something. And when that happens, God uses that to teach us to love like Jesus. Notice what he says in this passage. My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Why? For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word of God planted in you which can save you. Paul says it this way, in your anger do not sin, do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. Fast forward two verses. He says, let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is useful for building others up according to their need that it may benefit those who listen. By the way, get rid of bitterness, rage, anger which is out of control. And oh, by the way, forgive as Christ forgave you. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26 to the end of the chapter. Why? Because anger is a progressive bitter root. And when anger takes root in our life, it goes deep-seated underground. And when it is taken root underground, it leads to an unforgiving spirit. And that unforgiving spirit just simply pollutes who we are. And he says, I want you to forgive the trespasses that people have done in your life. So much so that when Jesus teaches the Lord prayer he says forgive us our debts forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us later in that passage he says for if you forgive those who trespass against you your heavenly father will forgive your sins and I don't want to go through hurt and I don't want to forgive but I do want to be like Jesus And Scripture says that when he was hanging on the cross, everybody mocked him. The crowd ridiculed him. The chief priests and the elders mocked and ridiculed him. Even the people who were hanged on either side of him began to mock and ridicule him. And in the final moments of Jesus' life, he looked over from the cross and he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And you may not want to let go of the trespasses that people have committed in your life. But all of us want to be like Jesus. And so, Jesus, I want to let go of that stuff. And I don't know about you, but I don't really want to go through suffering. But I do want to be like Jesus. And Paul said, not that I had already obtained all of this, but I want to know Jesus And I want to know the power of the resurrection even so much as to go through suffering as he did. And so Jesus, because I want to be like you, 
I'm willing to go through trials. And frankly, I don't like temptation because too often I fail. But Jesus, I know that you are able and I know that you want me to have the ability and strength and maturity to overcome temptation. And so Jesus, I'm willing to face temptation because I really want you to be able to look at me someday and see your face. And so as we pray this morning, if you feel like you're in God's classroom, you're not alone. Whether it's through a trial you never wanted to go through or a temptation you struggle with or a trespass that has hurt so deeply. Jesus, I do want to be like you. And I don't go through any of this stuff because you hate me. And I don't go through this because you're mad at me. I go through this because you love me. And you want to conform me into the image of your son, Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, I want to turn to you and I want to trust you and then I want to turn it over to you and ask that through all this stuff, now I'm going to go through it with or without you. I'd rather go through it with you. But Lord, mold me, make me into the image of your son Jesus so that you can see your reflection in my life and that others can see that too. Thank you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Colonial Woods Missionary Church presents Keys to Confident Living.